Today's topic is Stuff I Learned the Hard Way. A lot of what I know about leadership and a lot of what I know about particularly pastoral leadership, I didn't learn in Bible school or some formal educational course. I didn't learn in seminary. I learned the hard way. I learned through the School of Hard Knocks. I learned through on-the-job training. I learned through observing mentors and asking a lot of probing questions. And those are the things that I think I know better than I know the things I learned through formal education. I want to talk to you about a few of those things, and they're just sort of random thoughts that I've collected on a piece of paper in no particular order and in no order of importance. The first one I'd like to talk about for just a moment is crowd psychology. I observed this one with a pastor friend in my area who has a pretty good sized congregation. They're they're large and large by my standards, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And they met in a facility that had space for maybe six or seven hundred seats and they had portable seating they had chairs not pews or something else to sit on they they were individual chairs that that locked into rows as many contemporary churches have and i observed this pastor doing something that i thought was a little bit odd he would have his team put out maybe 300 chairs the front half of the building was filled with chairs and the rest of the building was not filled with chairs. The chairs were left stacked against the wall. Even though he anticipated having an attendance of four or 500 people, he would only have half of the chairs or, or less than half of the chairs maybe placed out in rows on the floor. And then as those seats would fill up or get to be about you know 70 or 80% filled, he would have his team add one row and one row only of seats behind that. And then as people kept arriving or arrived later, they would add another row and another row and another row. And it seemed like a lot of extra work to me. I was observing that if he knew he was going to have 500 or 600 people and he had 600 chairs, why wouldn't he just have his room set up for 600 chairs? And the observation that he passed along was, Human nature is that when people come in, especially newcomers or people who are not fully immersed into the program, they're going to fill up the seats from the back to the front and leave basically the front three or four rows of seats empty and the back of the place filled. But if you take the seats and place them so that there are a limited quantity of seats available, People will tend to fill up the entire section available and then you only add seats when it becomes uncomfortably crowded. When there's 70 or 80 percent and there are gaps of two seats or three seats or one seat and nobody wants to fill those, they will stand there looking for a seat that they would like to sit in. Then you add a row and when that gets almost full, you add another row and another row because it's human nature for people to do that. I learned a lot from that, and so in my own church, which is uh, exponentially smaller than that church that we talked about, if we have 
uh, we're probably 10% of that size. If we have a day where we have 60 or 70 people, it's a great day. We, we consider that a really successful attendance. Now, I don't have a problem with that. But what we do is we put out enough seats for about 30 people. And then when that gets uncomfortably full, we have seats ready to add to uh, fill in toward the back of the building so that we can accommodate another, you know, 20 people or so, and then another 20 people or so, or another 20 as we, as the building begins to fill up. And what we have observed as a result of that is that the front of the building starts to fill first. People don't just immediately come in and stop at the last row of seats because it's a smaller, more intimate uh, environment, a more intimate venue. In fact, and this is sort of a, an addendum to that, we observed that having our worship band up on the platform, the stage in this case of an elementary school cafeteria, up on a stage, so they were several feet higher and maybe 15 or 20 feet removed from the front row, was inhibiting the intimacy in the worship and the atmosphere, and people were not as prone to participate. They were more spectators watching the band perform music or even watching them on the large um, IMAG screen and reading the words, but not actually singing. And so we changed the dynamic by moving the band down to the floor. Um, and we just ignore the stage as if it's not there. We move them down to the floor so there may be they're maybe six or eight feet in front of the front row, and they're on the same eye level with the people in the congregation, and it really changed the dynamic. And I really learned that from this observational thing about placing the seats and the intimacy of the room. And you'll see it sometimes at large events, particularly political rallies, where they rent a huge arena for a rally, but it looks as if the attendance is going to be far less than they projected and they don't want it to look like a small crowd in a big empty room so they have the arena people put up black curtains to shield off the empty seats so when the camera swings around it doesn't see a tiny group of people or a relatively tiny group of people for the size of the facility in in this large uh, room and it makes it look like a small attendance by packing the people in closer into a more intimate crowd they make it look like the attendance is larger pastors come under constant pressure and influence to get wrapped up in all sorts of peripheral issues that have little or nothing to do with their mission and so my position and my advice is to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get off onto some tangential, is that the word? Tangential? Sounds funny when you say it. Tangential issues. And don't ever, ever, ever uh, let your church become a platform for political debate. In my own congregation, in my local congregation, we have liberals and conservatives and libertarians and people who vote Democrat and people who vote Republican and people who have strong opinions about this politician or that politician and this issue and that issue, and that's okay. I have heard it said before, you know, you need to remember that God is not a Democrat, God is not a Republican. I get a lot of heat for even saying one th level further than that, 
and that is God is not an American. And so I'm very careful not to conflate God and country as if that were a single word. Um, it's okay to take stances on moral issues that are peripherally attached to political issues. But be careful that you don't align yourself with any politician or political party or political philosophy because they're just that. They're, it's just politics. If you keep your focus on Jesus, if you keep your focus on the main thing, make the main thing the main thing, um, your church will be a better church, a better balanced church, and you won't immediately reject people who come into your midst who happen to hold a different political view than you hold or vote for a different party than you vote for. Just, it's really a dangerous thin ice position to get yourself painted into a corner. How's that for a bunch of mixed metaphors in one sentence? Over some political party or political issue or candidate. We never endorse candidates at our church. I have people on my leadership team who hold a diversity of views on political issues and all sorts of other things. And we love one another and we work together because you will never, ever, ever hear anything political from the pulpit. My advice, keep the main thing, the main thing. I'll give you one more because I'm a pastor and we can't do anything unless they're in threes, apparently. I'll give you one more, and that is to avoid comparison. You want to get really depressed, you want to feel really insecure, you want to feel really uh, down about everything that you're doing and achieving and accomplishing, just start comparing yourself with others. It's, it's a trap. I think that social media has played a part in that, and I'm a big user and lover of social media. But what you're seeing in the social media posts of other people and other churches, other organizations, you're seeing their highlight reel and not the outtakes. You go to the movies sometimes and before the film starts, there are a series of, of previews for movies that are about to come out. And then you see one of those previews and you think, man, this looks great. I'm going to go see that. So it comes out three months later and you remember that preview. So you go to see the movie and what you discover is that that preview had the best 30 or 40 seconds of the entire movie in it. And there was little other content that you liked at all. The preview was way better than the movie. That's what we often see when we observe other groups, other churches, other people from the outside. We are only seeing the preview reel where they've given you all the beautiful highlights and all the wonderful things. We're not seeing all the outtakes. So avoid comparison. And, and it happens all the time. You get people from your church who say, hey, we need to do this because that church over there, they're doing this, or they have this program, or they're involved in this. We need to do that too. And I guess because I grew up in Alabama, my, my Southern response to that is, well, bless their hearts. I know they're doing all that, but God has not called us to be that, do that, have that. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. Uh, if that's where you belong, then I'll miss you. But that's probably where you belong because that's not who we are here. And that's not what we do here. It's really, really, really hard to hold that line. 
because you're constantly being asked by people to get involved and launch this program or this ministry or this idea that they think is so wonderful because they've seen at another church. But I've been around this thing a long time. And there is a a well-known, highly visible local church in my area that does some really wonderful things. But I've been around long enough from the day they started, in fact, to see so many programs that they launched and hyped and promoted and then quietly swept under the rug and made them disappear when they were unsuccessful and then they died. Some of those programs that died and were not a big success were things that people in my own congregation were saying, wow, we should do this because they're doing it and it looks so awesome. Don't get sucked into that. Don't allow someone else's preview reel to dictate what you do. Just you do you and you be you. Be true to who you are and uh, keep the main thing the main thing. Add seats incrementally. Don't get sucked into the life of comparison with others. That's my advice for today. All right. See you later. Aloha. Ahuiho.